There is uh, no joy quite like seeing people playing your game and having fun. And um, that's definitely true when I designed RPGs. But when you design a board game, what I've learned is that people can take pictures of it and you can actually like see them. And so that sort of quiets down the anxiety. It's like, what if they're lying to you in an elaborate prank? Um, and they're not. Uh, so thank you so much for the videos and the unboxings and the pictures of you guys playing and enjoying Party Foul. Uh, that makes our day here. So cheers to you. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6 where we have six conversations, drink six beers, rate them on a five-point scale. And um, we're going to do a cartoon show now. So we're on Kickstarter now. We're only asking for eight million. <laughs> um, mix 6 you know, animated. Lo- yeah, Mix 6 animated. It's a low funding goal. So yeah. just get on there and let's do this. Are you salty about something? No, no. Not that, you know. Why are you not salty about something? <laughs> I repressed. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> just keep those emotions really tamped down. They're the enemy. Right. Yeah. Damn. Um, While we work through this off the microphone, um, you can be prepared to see us at some upcoming events. And so in June, if you're going to be at Origins Game Game Fair, so will we. Origins Game Fear would be a very different, kind of a a psychosis type thing. (laughs) Yeah. You've got the Origins Game Fear. It's Origins After Dark. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's really, really I'm very phobic of It's the deadliest game. (laughs) Get out. The game is coming from inside the house. Um, hey, we'll be at the Origins Game Fair in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and then a few short months after that, we'll be at Gen Con in Indianapolis, Indiana, and then you can also see us here in Springfield at Moon City Con in September of this year. Hopefully, you got your tickets on Kickstarter, and if not, we'll try to pressure them to make more tickets available in the future, so watch out now, 417 Gamers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> also, if you're not subscribed to our Patreon, don't forget that you can get this and a whole lot more access to episodes, additional full-length episodes, hot takes on ice, and jury of our beers, our mini-episodes on Patreon.com. Just look for the Mix 6 podcast, and you can sign up to be a monthly backer. But also, you could get on the Discord, which if you want to hang out with us at Origins, oh, is yeah. probably the only way to do it. Because if we just scheduled events with Gamma, they would cancel them and then move them. So you might as well just hunt us down in the wild. We're, we're gonna, uh, Discord's we're gonna, the way to do that. We're going to yeah. discoordinate. Yes. See what nice. I did there? I like that. Awesome That's point. good. Um, <laughs> hey, if you've listened to this before, you know what we do here. But if you haven't, while we're drinking those beers, we rate them on a five-point scale. And Caleb, today you've developed our five-point rating scale. This is how we evaluate a beer. A one is terrible. A five is really great. Caleb, what are we talking about? Well, I wanted to do something that people could relate to, but also owing to the Spencer Harris patented uh, make it so subjective no one can relate to it. Attaboy. I wanted to protect myself from criticism. So I've, I think I've arrived at the best of both worlds. It feels good, right? So I'm going to rate them on comic book artists in the order I would want them to illustrate my portrait. Love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, from one to five. Mm-hmm. So famous comic book artists in the mm-hmm. order I would want them to illustrate Oof. my portrait. So a one, a comic book artist that you absolutely do not want to illustrate you and a beer you absolutely do not want to drink. It's going to be Alex Ross because that's photorealistic and it doesn't <laughs> get worse than that. Yeah. That is the floor. That mm-hmm. is the absolute bottom. Uh, he would try and make me look like really beautiful, like with this sun shaded background. It would just look more sad. Um, 
the disconnect, it would be, I mean, it'd be some outsider art shit. I'm not saying it wouldn't have artistic value, but I would feel very bad about myself as he lovingly rendered my every pore in oil. The, the, the cognitive dissonance there to get this beautiful oil painted piece of work that has to be of Caleb up. Stokes. Right. And then like and then, the ultimate fuck you. Like I spent days drawing this guy like, oh man. And then to Tragic. see yourself and go, yeah. oh my God. Is that yeah. what I look like yeah. in oil? Mm-hmm. So two is going to be uh, Rob Liefeld, obviously. So uh, I'm going to be really distorted, and I'm going to have very many pouches. But it doesn't. It's not a one because who doesn't like a good pouch? Storage is important on your clothes. You, <laughs> you need pockets. All right. Also, the bizarre distortions of anatomy. No one's going to be quite sure what's Rob and what's actually <laughs> Caleb if they haven't seen a picture of me. I mean, Frankly, that's good. I mean, I'm not looking good, but like I like that sort of... It's obscuring. It's up in the air. Is his back really that twisted or his gut that big or something like that? Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, gonna go with Rob for two. Three is gonna be Steve Dillon. Yeah, Steve Dillon's art was made for men like me, horse-faced, average-looking men that all look exactly the same. Steve Dillon is representing us in the comics community. So, uh, I'm Steve. I'm there for it. All right. Uh, you won't be able to tell which one is me, but I will be <laughs> no, by in the there. costume you have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, by the costume. I'll yeah. be wearing a mix six shirt. Um, four is going to be Jim Lee. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to look hot as hell because right. he can't draw a human without abs. It's true. It's not possible. It's not in no way going to be like representative of my personality, but I'm going to be looking great. Uh, I might even be like in a Hawkeye initiative, like butt pose. We're like, hey, Jim, look at it. Jim Lee is the artist who draws the person you wish you were when you went to your high school reunion. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm for that aspirational stuff. Yeah. yeah All right. Uh, and then five, the, the ultimate, the beer you want. I'm going to go for Fiona Staples of saga because i'm gonna be like surrealist i'm still gonna look hot but it's actually gonna like be my body shape uh like fiona staples is the absolute best version of me that can be put on a page such a good point so how's she gonna modify you do you think i don't know i don't know maybe i have like maybe i have like microphones for ears for the podcasting something like base left she's not gonna work hard on it like we all know that much but it's still gonna be better than everybody else's it's gonna be like base level one step removed symbolism but I mean, one step removed away from Alex Ross is a big step uh, for me. We got to get far away from the photorealism uh, if I'm going to join the comic book page. So, yeah. Love it. Uh, on that note, we're going to grab some beer. We're going to put this rating system to use on the other side with Dissecting Our Fun. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So we've had a couple of these now, Fat Orange Cat beers, um, and they seem to do a lot of New England IPAs. So here we are again. That's the name of the brewery. It's not like a code or like no, yeah, slang. Of Li- literally, Fat Orange Cat is the, yeah. is the name of the, the, the entity making the beer, yeah. or at least canning it. Um, this is the FOC Less Monster. Get it? Fuck Less Monster? Yeah. Um, the can, not unlike the other cans, is some very artistic rendering of a fat orange cat with a tail sticking out of the water as if to simulate the Loch Ness Monster. Cats don't like water, though. I cannot confirm or deny. The, the narrative of the piece doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's surrealist, Caleb. Let's see how the beard goes, It could though. be Garfield. He's looking for lasagna. It's going to be wet lasagna. Who wants, who wants wet lasagna? Hey, man, when you're an addict, you don't question things like that. 
<laughs> like you just need man that's a web comic that needs to exist garfield in recovery <laughs> I he's think in like does. aa or something yeah um yeah it's okay it's a three it it's a steve dylan of beers that's exactly right it is steve dylan drawing you of beers yeah technically that beer looks like all the other beers yeah it does it mm-hmm. tastes like every ipa you've ever had now here's a trick i'm excited to try at some point Max Nestorowicz from Good Brews, Bad Views posted in the Discord that he had a middling IPA, which is comfortably where the Fockless Monster lives. Yeah. And someone had poured a shot of Fireball in there, and he said it was incredible. Hmm. So this weekend, I will try the IPA Fireball mashup. Beer cocktails, huh? It, we, we should cocktails do a whole, strong term we for do, We should do a special episode of nothing but beer cocktails. Yeah. Like the wildest ones we can find. Pabsinth. We should Pabsinth, bring back the lunch boxes. Oh, God, yeah. Whatever the People fuck a fireball in an IPA is. We, uh, we need to do that on a weekend. Is something I'm <laughs> yeah. Or like a yeah. Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would be down for this. Yeah. PA. Um, we should find a milestone episode, though. Yeah. Like yeah. 60 or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good round number. Um, that's a three for me. Steve Dillon drawing Caleb. Uh, we're into board game stuff, dissecting our fun. Um, you introduced us to a game a few weeks ago that you'd played a little bit here and there, I believe. And we finally got it to the table. Uh, and this normally doesn't happen because the value of having best friends who buy a bunch of board games is that you don't have to buy the board games. Yeah. We went out and bought this game after we played it with you. And, As well you should. And have played it already. It's so fast to get it's to the table. so fast and so enjoyable. The game is Bunny Kingdom. Yes. By Richard Garfield. Uh, Put up a yellow game. <clears throat> right. And Richard Garfield has made some great games in the past. King of Tokyo, Netrunner, and most importantly, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. That Richard Garfield. This is neither Netrunner nor Magic the Gathering. No, no, no. This is very different. What if I told you this game was about bunnies taking over small spaces of land so that you could build large fiefs and then have uh, greater wealth than your other bunny kingdom companions? Because that's the fucking game. And it's great. So and the art is... Perhaps I, I think we just have to start with that. The art on the cards is perhaps the most gorgeous, hilarious art I've ever seen. It is bunny puns and bu- pun- punnies. Ugh, that one sucks. No, that's not great. I'm sorry. No. Remember earlier when I said discoordinate though, because that was a good one, and I just don't want to forget that. Um, the art is great. The jokes are great. Putting these funny bunnies. I, I'm sorry. Just I didn't please even, stop. I can't say the word bunny anymore. <laughs> Putting these rabbits in these interesting spaces where they're in like feudal lands doing like regular shit is just funny. It's just enjoyable to look at. It's light. It's airy. The colors are bright and vibrant. It doesn't look like a lot of games you play today. Yeah. And the sheer amount of types of bunnies, like everything in it is a bunny, but they draw the like the sheer like, do you know what? Attila the Hun looks like. Yeah, Attila right. the Bun, as they call him. Get it. Um, yeah, they, they draw these like wildly different bunnies with different occupations, and they're all great looking. Yeah. The thing I want to talk about in Bunny Kingdom, though, is that Bunny Kingdom is at its core uh, both an area manipulation and card drafting game. Yes. And I am medium at best mm-hmm. on card drafting yes. most of the time. Just don't care for it. Don't have a good enough brain to follow all of the other things happening at the table to then also think... What do I want as compared to or a greater than what Caleb shouldn't get? But it's pretty simple. But on it's this one. pretty simple. And so one of the things I want to talk about is why does it feel like Bunny Kingdom got card drafting right? So to explain the mechanics a little bit, Bunny Kingdom is basically a grid. I believe it's 10 by 10. Uh, Could be. Goes it's to, a 10 by 10 yeah, grid. Yeah, goes to J, I believe. Um, and uh, you've got uh, letters and numbers to do columns and rows. And you've got this map that will have stone tiles and 
forest tiles and lake tiles and all sorts of stuff like that. And the terrain. Ca- yeah, the cards will either let you play stuff anywhere, they will give you buildings or resources that you can play anywhere that you control, or they will have a letter number code on them that will allow you to place a bunny on that s- square and claim it so that when you play a card that gives you a resource, you can, during the build phase, put a resource there because your bunny is on it and you've claimed it. Um, and the goal of the game is to uh, create these fifes. Now, these fifes are built from castles, which are these little plastic pieces that you can get from the card drafting. And the castles have different towers, one, two, and three numbers. And then it's the number of resources you build on these fifes that are connected orthogonally, not diagonally. And that makes a fife. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you do is basically to score a fife at the end of every round, there's three rounds in the game, you take the number of towers you have with bunnies in them that you control. So like if you have three castles and a total of six towers between them, then it's six, okay? Uh, and then you're going to take that number and times it by the number of different resources in that fight. So, so if you have like two woods, it's still one, six times one, six points. But if you had like a wood, a fish, and a diamond, that's three. So now you're at six times three and you're racking up these points. And you're trying to build all these little fifes as you can around the board. Yep. The problem is... The only thing you're doing to do that is to get the cards, and you can only draft one card at a time, so you're getting these ha- these hands of 10 cards where you start off with, and if you're playing with four players, you're having to remember what you started off with as you're cycling through three more hands, and you're trying to build these strategies, but like, well, I have to take this now, but I really hope this comes back, right. and you're trying to keep it all straight in your head because you're trying to build in these uh, contained regions on the board, but you are almost completely limited by the letter number code that you get in the hand draft. That's right. And if you're playing in a two-player setting, they also introduced another drafting mechanic that is kind of interesting. So- the the two-player game, I think I might prefer, and I really love playing it with three or four players, but the two-player game gets really interesting. So I loved playing with four players, um, especially because that's four different people who are trying to claim territory, and so your ability to claim territory in pockets, which I think happens more in a two-player game because just more of the board is available to yeah. you is less likely in a four-player game. So you have to really just go for whatever you can get and then try to build and connect. Mm-hmm. In the two-player game, though, they've they've introduced functionally a hate-drafting mechanic. So in the two-player game, whereas uh, you, you would typically, in a three- or four-player game, pass a deck to your left or to your right, depending on the round, and then let people draft from that, in a two-player game, you're drafting from a deck, which you'll then pass to the other player, but you're also pulling out of a resource card or a reserve card, I think is what it's called, out of a reserve deck, and you're discarding a card that is now undraftable by your opponent. Yeah, you basically deal out four hands. You have one that you draw from blind and one that you have in your hand, before you pick a card to play, you pull one blind. So like if we were in the seventh round of the draft, I would pull one blind and have eight cards. But then I'm going to have to play two cards. I play one, and then I just hate discard another one. So if my hand is going to go over to you the next turn, and I see that you're building on G7, I can draw that one from the blind, be like, oh, I want this one, and keep it in my hand. Right. And then just discard G7, even if I don't want, just to hate draft you. That's right. That's right. Uh, which makes it super interesting for a two-player game, which is... Which is telling for me because one thing that it falls down on, especially couples gaming with a card drafting yeah. mechanic, you can't play two person shinobi clans. It's very clear who's assassin and who's guarding, right. like, right. or if you're both assassinating. Like, it's not as interesting. Whereas Bunny King loses nothing, might gain something at the two player. I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm, a, I'm of two minds on this two player thing. So, one mind is 
it adds an offensive element that doesn't exist in most card drafting games for me. You you really do get some choice in that two player setting that you don't get in in other instances. The other half of that is like it's a little fiddly in the two player setting. It's you, hard to keep track. You yeah. have to keep track of did we pass the decks back and forth? Have we added our reserve cards? Did I play one and did I discard one every turn? Yeah. And it can be easy. In fact, what Brandy and I did is institute a card counting mechanic in every round. Yep. Let's just count the number of cards we yep. both have to yep. make sure we haven't screwed something up. Because we done had it at one point yeah. and we tracked it back and yeah. fixed it. So I would definitely recommend hacking in a card counting every round just to make sure you're on the same page. But why is Bunny Kingdom's card drafting so much more interesting to me than most? <clears throat> I think part of it is you've, what you've already touched on. It's enjoyable to look at the cards. Yeah. They're fun. The jokes are good. The puns are good. The images are good. It's beautiful. It's bright. It's interesting. The second reason I think that it's interesting is because Bunny Kingdom does a good job of offering you play it right now to gain some advantage, some territory, some points. They balance those types of cards with... You're going you're gonna to draft this card, but it's not going to pay off until the end of the game. And you're going to set those cards aside, and it may have a variable bonus, and it may have a one-time bonus. And you could make a ton of points that no one has access to at the end of the game just by functionally taking a turn off from generating more resources or territory and playing some in-game, putting your stock in. Yeah, these, these treasure later. cards yep. uh, will like score you a crazy number of carrots, which are points at the end of the game. Uh, but you're having to invest in those at the uh, loss of something in your fife, right. which is going to score at the end of every round. Right. I think the ultimate version of that is the camp card. You can oh. drop a camp card, which is super useful. It can connect fifes up so you're scoring bigger points. But a camp card can be dropped anywhere, which means if someone gets that card... Right and they drop something on there, your camp is obliterated, right. and now it's separated off the fife. Like, uh, so it's a super useful tool short-term, but then it can be destroyed at any risk. point later in the game. Right, you're unprotected. Um, and all of the cards are basically like that. Like, uh, I, I view it as, like, camp is, like, the most short-term. Then you have, like, building somewhere as a regular term, right. but it doesn't matter unless something else is built around it. Um, then you've got the building cards, where you get castles and you get resources to drop places, but they don't mean anything unless you've claim some territory right, exactly and then you've got those treasure cards which can just be like get five carrots at the end or like some savage cards Ooh, like like the uh, opportunist like opportunist is like the oh man if sarah almost <laughs> divorced me when i played the opportunist card. Uh, opportunist if you're in if you're not the leader when the game ends you gain within 10, 10 points yeah within 10 yeah then you gain 10 points and i i was i was wow. losing by six carrots and then i won by four and sarah literally punched me uh, and crazy. deservedly so it's a savage card yeah um, great little figurines. Uh, the castles are fun to play with. The tactical, tactile element is nice. The board is good looking and the little bunny tokens are adorable. Um, can't recommend bunny kingdom. Enough. So quick to get to a play. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. You, absolutely. Good, good, like intro game to people. I think I so. totally yeah. agree. Yeah. The scoring is a little bit fiddly trying to you, figure you're out. You're going to have like a 10 or 15 minute, like onboarding <clears throat> if they've never played games before, but right. like after that, it's going to play pretty easy. Totally agree. Um, go get bunny kingdom. In the meantime, we're going to go get more beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, that beer is overflowing. What is it? It's quite frothy. It is from Crane Ugh. Brewing, the Omar Poder. Why do you go, uh, you don't like the word the frothy? The word frothy is just... You do a beer podcast. That doesn't mean I have to like the word frothy. Froth? Ugh. 
None of it. You don't like the noun form? Not not crazy about too froth. Not crazy Frothing. about frothing. No, oh, even worse. <laughs> he doesn't like the present participle. The active not into is it. very bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, may have frothed. The conditional. All instances of froth. <laughs> not a good All word. Right. This is our grammar podcast. Right. The big yeah, you're froth. a very frothful person. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> Caleb's now drinking a frothy Omar Porter. Well, just saying it makes me want to die. Ooh. Damn, there's some smoke on there. Caleb, Caleb's face looks that like... That is a hard, hard malt. He just um, walked through a fire. It's it's good, but man, that's a smoky, smoky-ass porter. Like, uh... You kind of wonder why... Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I like that. I do like it. Eh, I don't like the back as much. Yeah, I think it's a Steve Dillon for me, because like... When Steve Dillon draws a person, you're like, that is a person. Right. With no other distinguishing characteristics. And this is a porter in that, fuck, yeah, porter, man. Like, in-your-face porter. And that's about all you get from, because they, that, it tastes burned. There's, the there's, malt tastes burned. Right. There's no maltiness. There's no, like, of the chocolate or some of the roastedness yeah, that you get on the back end. There's just, no other note. It's, it's just, just smoke. smoke. Yeah. But, like, if you like smoke, which I do, it, yeah, it's a three. That's yeah. a Steve Dillon. Beer. No, it's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we're into jukebox in the back because this was the number two vote getter on this week's surveys. Um, and I, I couldn't skip this opportunity. Um, <laughs> damn it. Frederick, um, you guys got to chime in, so it's not just me talking to myself. No, but. that's kind of what I was going for here, though. <laughs> um, Frederick says, "Tell us about ska music." Yes, really. <laughs> and I've seen Caleb get really and truly animated about so few things as I've seen him get animated about ska music. And I thought, what better way to spend eight to ten minutes? <laughs> Than just watching Caleb have a fit, good or bad, about a pork pie hat right in his backpack, ready to yeah. slap on. I'm just so put on a checkered shirt. Yep. Right. <laughs> so Caleb, please tell us about ska music. I mean, what? Where should I start? There's that, so much. Exactly. It's a cornucopia. No. <laughs> it's a rich tapestry. Yeah, it's a rich tapestry, man. Like true or false? You listened to a bunch of ska music. I in listened high to it. Yeah, definitely past hits. Um, <laughs> it's definitely past tense and not a thing I ever do at all anymore. anymore. Yeah. Right. Favorite ska artist? Oh, I can't do that. Can you even call them artists, though? <laughs> about uh, top three? Uh, I'll go Blue Meanies. Blue Meanies is in there, right. and then I like Johnny Sacco a lot, and then I like uh, The Toasters. That's my weird pick. I've heard of The Blue Meanies, and that is the extent of my experience with anything you've just said. Yeah. Which yeah. feels right. Yeah. Um, why do you like ska music, Caleb? So uh, I like ska music pretty much definitively because of my youth. I came uh, I came of age during a weird time in which uh, music was so destitute they thought Real Big Fish was a thing that would appeal to everyone. Excuse me, and it sir. was on MTV. Um, so that was like I take offense. One to that. of the it was like one of the first CDs I ever bought. Um, it was there, and the thing is, is like I was a nerdy kid, which is not surprising to anyone. And the thing is, is like you could be into ska and not play guitar and not be a punk rocker. Like you could actually know how to read music and go play at a show, and uh, people actually were there and listened to it. Um, so it was like being in a band for people who were just in like marching band, uh, and you could do like play a show in front of people at bars and like do cool stuff or at least our version of cool stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was inclusive enough to include me cause I was tragically uncool. Um, definitely not a kid that was going to get a guitar and like get girls or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, I got really into Scott along with a bunch of other, my band nerd friends. And we had like a whole little, 
local ska scene industry uh, as a result from our high school band crew where we would just like recruit more people from the horn sections and like the rhythm section of the jazz band, which is, was in the ska bands I played into. So which is great. And I listened to a lot of ska as a result of that. Yeah. I think that my limited... And it didn't pan out in the long term of musical history <laughs> is what I've learned. Ska? But, yeah. Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by pan out. I mean... It's not like we were in the Sugar Hill Gang in like a hip hop revolution that has shaped the world today. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> but but I would imagine that like everyone of our age ish can at least point to a ska something, right? Even if they're on like the pop edge or like the front end of ska that you you know you really yeah that's ska how shame heads. works yeah. right yeah yeah because yeah. um, like I think I remember um, it was probably like a real big fish song that maybe was in like fucking Good Burger or something and I remember thinking oh like, yeah yeah. What are those horns doing? Yeah. And I thought it was cool, and that was the extent of my exploration into that music genre. Um, if, if you were to hypothetically continue to listen to ska music um, to this very day, what ska are you still listening to? Uh, I am actually listening to a lot more of the, I don't want to call it underground, but like the less popular stuff, and then the early ska comes in waves. Um, oh. So you you uh, actually, there's three waves of ska. Please. The, the, what, why didn't this come out earlier? I, why did you bury this lead? The Okay, I want you to talk about ska is not a sentence I ever imagined hearing, not to mention having to talk about it in a podcast. So well, I haven't rehearsed sense. these remarks, Clearly. if that's what you're saying. Right. I don't have a lesson plan prepared. All right. Anyway, ska goes in three waves. The 90s kid ska wave, that's third wave. That's when you get into... Um, real big fish stuff like that. There's uh, there is um some stuff like Catch Twenty Two. That some would argue that's fourth wave. Even Ooh. after the after the decline of like we would occasionally have Scott MTV when we had nothing else to do, when it became like unhearable in, mm-hmm. in in the world. But third wave would be like no doubt. It would early albums. It would be like Real Big Fish. It would be stuff like that. Uh, you could argue Catch Twenty Two is fourth wave. So before that, you get stuff like first wave Scott, which is like actually offshoots of reggaeton like so you get like uh some of the early stuff from the specials and the toasters like going as far back as the 80s oh um, i did not like know john hughes level ska stuff uh hmm. and then uh second wave is where you get um it's evolving uh it's it's spreading out it's not just in new york because first wave is almost exclusively oh, okay. in new york and uh then you get to third wave when it kind of briefly you know, peak is into the cultural consciousness before diving and never being heard right, from again, except right, as a joke. Right. It went away. Yeah. I guess I, when you said no doubt, I went in my head like, yeah, okay, that probably qualifies. Tragic Kingdom is a Tragic Scott Kingdom, album. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I guess I just never really thought about it like that, but I do love Tragic Kingdom. Yeah. So I guess that's probably me, yeah. probably my entry into Scott. That Scott. is definitely a Scott album. Yeah. And that's a good fucking, that's, that's just a fantastic good. album. Ooh, top to bottom. If you don't listen to Tragic Kingdom anymore, I don't listen to you. No, but. that and, and I do. Like, uh, yeah. like to this day, we'll have, have some Tragic Kingdom stuff on playlists because mm-hmm. that was also one of the first CDs I ever bought. Yeah. Tragic Kingdom. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is you and I are actually pretty much the same person on this. <laughs> yeah. We're very, we're, we're related. We're Ska cousins. Skazins. We're yeah, ska twins. But I mean, there's also ska goes in some weird place. There's Memphis Scafalese, which was a satanic no, ska band. No. Uh, Leftover Crack, which is utterly insane. <gasps> I remember Leftover Crack. Leftover Crack is a ska band. Uh, Blue Meanies is utterly fucking insane. To like call it's Leftover more hardcore. Crack any band seems a little yeah. aggressive. <laughs> yeah. But okay. Um, like, and those are all ska. But that was the thing. Like, you could be a band nerd and still like you know do crazy rock and roll shit and That's like fair. that was the only place to do that if you played trombone right. or something right. <laughs> like yeah so it was uh it was punk rock for the rest of us uh who weren't you know 
Sid Vicious or something. Not big fans of clothespins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Producer Ross, before you started yeah. hating everything that people enjoy, did Sky make your radar? Yeah, yeah, I listened to No Doubt. Really? Yeah. Okay, No Doubt. Yeah, 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 but nothing deeper and or weirder. No, 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 I never got into it. Although every time I think of Sky, I think of actually Police Squad. Uh, the TV show. Oh yeah. Oh. Um, because it an episode in 1982 actually has the you know the trope of the cop giving a shoe shine a dollar to to get a tip about what's going on in the street. Yeah. So a cop does that in an episode of Police Squad, and then the guy says, uh, "Some kids on the street yesterday mentioned a new kind of music, ska. You know anything about it?" And he gives him the buck, and then he's like. Nothing, but an, it's an upbeat offshoot of reggae. Updated white rock influence is definitely upbeat. It'll never become really popular because even though they've made the backbeat more conventional, it's still too exotic for mass acceptance. <laughs> yeah. And that's 1982. Wow, producer Ross remembered that. Yeah. Deep cut. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, like, Sky is, like, inherently tied, like, to the... It's being dragged behind the rise of punk because, like, you couldn't fill a punk show with nothing but punk. So, like, you always have, like, sky headliners to like, actual punk bands that people like. Uh, but, yeah, MU330 and, like, stuff like that. A lot of punk bands have ska influences and occasional ska songs. I can see that. Um, you've got Goldfinger. You've got, you know, all sorts oh, of man. stuff. Yeah, that's all ska, man. What the fuck? Yeah, if if you like punk music, ska's kind of tied to it. It's not like part of it. It's not influencing it, but like they need someone to fill those first two acts because <laughs> the punk guys aren't going to show up on time, and those band nerds have to you know clear out their spit valves, so they'll be at the show early to play to no one who listens. Forgot about Goldfinger um, too. Yeah, this has been a trip down memory lane for me. Uh, yeah, look at the. There's actually a collection. Uh, I think it's just called like uh, Third Wave. And it's like actually a, a full blown like uh, compilation uh, of mm. ska music you can find out there. I had the CDs. I can't remember who put mm. it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was Moon uh, Moon Ska Press. They did a ton of ska publishing like from the eighties in New York on. Like when I was in high school, we had to like get the Moon Ska catalog to like get all this old shit like that no one had ever heard of before. Wow. Uh, so if you can find uh, if they're still around or if they have any like old compilations around, if you can buy those. Um, that's a good way to get into like ska that's not like the 90s joke ska that was you know a little different but yeah there you go now you've learned everything there is to know about ska and probably talked about all of the bands pick it up um on that note more beer more stuff we'll be right back with we'll never bother Spencer, what are you drinking? So we have three of these fat orange cat beers left. I think they're all any India pale ale. Yeah, it appears to be the only thing they make. Right. And so I figured I'll just drink all three as a control group to figure out what works and doesn't work here. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is severe tire damage, and it's a fat orange cat like in a tire. Yeah. There's a real theme here is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. They really They love Garfield, but they don't want to admit it. Why wouldn't you admit that? I, I mean, copyright reasons for them. Find, find other David's heads out there in the world. Go to <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're hinting at them without being like too overt. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crypto Garfield. <laughs> it's yeah. crypto Garfield. <laughs> Honestly, that's probably a Jim Lee. That that is really that is a much better IPA than the Steve Dillon that I drank two segments ago. We are going to be Get in there. really yeah. chagrined if it turns out it's all the same IPA in different cans. Well, it'll which be, no. maybe they have done. Because here's the thing. That one, there was nothing on the back end of that Fockless Monster. It was just like IPA and then water. Ooh, there's some citrusy there, sort of yep, zest. There's some depth on the there. Back end, yeah. and, and I like that back end because it rounds out just that like, oh, there's the hops. Yeah, and that's then, a much better one. Right? And I then agree. it rounds out. It's got some citrus on the back end. Zest is a nice word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a drinkable IPA. Mm-hmm. And I 
don't say that off that often. Yeah. Um, hey, we're into We'll Never Bother. And it's been a while since I made the B. Arthur joke. So yeah. let me just remind you again that B. Author, which is how we spell Bother here, um, looks like B. Arthur a little bit. And actually, if you are a stately British gentleman and you were to say B. Arthur's name, you'd get the name of the segment, right? Because it should be like B. Arthur. And that's what we're doing. You're just really we're, trying to save it, aren't you? We're turning it into Bother. Cut the rope, man. Because the joke Let here is that we'll never actually write yeah, the I, novel. We, we know. Right. Everyone knows. We won't bother to write it. Yeah, they got it. Right. But B apostrophe author suggests that we are authoring as buddy, part of buddy, the Buddy, we got to go on. Okay. Good, 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 good. I feel like I'm dragging you away from a guy who's long dead in a war. Like, yeah. come on, we got to go, man. Yeah, a little bit. You're never going to open that bar this with is this my, pun. This is my Klaus in Vietnam moment. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Um, okay. So anyways, um, we're doing this largely because James, Byrne had, James Burns had such a good question for us. If you would write a YA post-apocalyptic novel, what setting would it be? How would you introduce the protagonist, and would the protagonist have a snappy tattoo? This sounds perfect for a Will Never Bother, uh, which again is like B. Arthur, but... And uh, so we put out the call on Twitter. If you're not following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed Six. We're often asking people to give us story, plot elements, settings, etc. that we can put into the story. So if you've not listened to this segment before, here's how it goes. A bunch of people wrote in absolutely the batshit craziest stuff that we need to include in a story. Producer Ross is now going to choose three of those story elements to mm-hmm. give us. And we have to, using those three story elements, put together a YA post-apocalyptic novel and f- tell you what setting it would be, how it introduced the protagonist, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we have to stitch together a story now over the next couple of minutes. So, Producer Ross, all right, our first element. Uh, so are these? Do I get the whole tweet, or do I have to pick one thing out of one of these tweets? Absolutely, you one. can. You, it's all up to you. Man. All right, oh. so it's going to be three tweets. Uh, okay. Um, so the first tweet is going to be the. Uh, it's a horse girl book, but the horses are from space, and there's also a UFO in there somewhere. Okay. So all right, can do that. Yeah. Uh, then the next who, one. I like, who, who whose suggestion was that? Uh, that was from Hamburger, the video game. Okay. Uh, I actually know him as Chris. He's a friend of the podcast. Okay. Uh, horse yeah. girl books sell though. Yeah. Like, horse, yeah. Horse girl book. That's where um, the money's at. Okay. Yeah, they like the new hit video game, Horses Too Far Away. Um, <laughs> or are they? Uh, that's the mystery. So then uh, Alexandria Bauer had Small Town Girl, also ends up in Big Cyber City, meets fu- futuristic vampires. Also a battle royale because that's what the kids these days like, right? Jesus. That's that's more than one element. Right. You got to pick one there, man. Oh, man. Uh, let's see here. Well, we'll go. We already have the girl, so let's let's do the battle royale because that's what the kids these days like it. Um, so horse battle royale. Whew. Yeah. This is gonna get uh, loud with nays. And I want to thank everybody who tweeted here because these are all great, and I wish I could use them. all. Really good suggestions. They're they're limiting me. Uh, here we go. And then here's mine from that is a secret, uh, which is magical furniture of some type. Okay. Yeah. All uh, right. Yeah. Um, huh cool okay <laughs> so i mean the, the rest of her tweet was dreary english countryside spoiled child that loses everything but i imagine you only want one of those three things so i would pick the magical furniture magical furniture so here's just so we're tracking horse girl book but the horses are from space and there's a ufo in there mm-hmm. battle royale magical furniture of some type question before we start yeah is a saddle technically furniture it is not no you are sitting on it doesn't matter no nope. It's it's it. if I bring the horse into a house <laughs> nope, and I'm sitting on the saddle, has the saddle become furniture? You're sitting on it. I would hope that you, an English teacher, would have a little bit more to go on than that. Good, sir. <laughs> the functional definition of a thing you're sitting because on it doth not a chair. A or horse, a furniture piece it's clothing because a horse wears a saddle. 
Well, okay. We're, I can't do this. I can't do this right now. We may find ourselves back on this topic. Our saddles, horse clothing, or people <laughs> right, furniture. Right. What, Discuss. What is a saddle? Um, anyways, <laughs> Caleb, you're you're the published author here, so um, so you get to start us off. Why post-apocalyptic YA novel, horse girl book, but the horses are from space, and there's a UFO in there. Battle royale, magical furniture, which a saddle does not count. Go. All right. Well, I think post-apocalyptic has to be the apocalypse of the sentient horse world. <laughs> okay. For uh, for the alien horses that look like regular horses, because oh, you got to get that horse girl market yeah, yeah, yeah. to come to Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the UFO comes in, and I'm always going to go with KA because we need to publish 400 of these and make our empire 100% off of it from KA Applegate. I think the kick is is that the young girl protagonist gets the ability to turn into a horse. Oh. From the magic horses uh, that were uh, shot off from the exploding equestrian verse. Krypton? Yeah, uh, the horse Krypton. Yeah. Um, just, so, and- just so I'm tracking here, so so that... Does she get the power because like some magical like horse hair like ends up on her because of the explosion of the well, planet? Well, I think that they like they're like blue, like aliens are like just regular animals but like different colors. Okay. And in order to shape shift right. and yeah. mix in with the other horses at her family's small horse farm, yeah. they have some sort of shape shifting technology. But she, in helping one of the horses that uh, she assumes to be struck by lightning during a storm that her parents are not there to help with because their parents in a YA book and utterly useless. Uh, she gains the power to turn into a horse herself. So there's some transference. So there. she's the one person that can turn into a horse and any breed of horse, which that'll be like how you separate the different, like she's a Clydesdale, oh. this volume. And in this one, she's a Palomino. Uh, and then, uh, but the other horses on the ranch are secretly alien horses that are disguising themselves as regular horses. Wait, are they bad guys or are they good guys though? Well, um, there's going to be bad guy horses. Right. Uh, so here's my, here's they, my question. They destroyed equestrian knots. Are, are the, the horses on in, in the farm, mm-hmm. are they there to protect her because the, they know that she is the one true horse? Or are they there and they're the problem? And so now she has to root out the evil horses from the stable. Well, no, she she's protecting them. Okay, and that's why she she's Got it. she's teaching them about she's a defender Earth culture mm-hmm. and horse culture because mm-hmm. they're confused by both. A lot of defamiliarization in the text, mm-hmm. uh, and you know she, they're teaching her about love and uh, how to talk to boys Makes sense. and like other stuff. Right. Um, oh, also there's got to be a love triangle and they're probably right. Uh, well, yeah. So we, we, we have a, two other elements. Right. We, about, we need yeah. a couple things here. So one, we need a battle royale. Yeah. And we need magical furniture of some type. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, so let's get to the battle royale. So she is protecting uh, the alien horses in her farm. Yeah. And she's also a magical horse now. Yeah. She can turn into any horse. Mm-hmm. By the way, two more types of horses than I thought you would be able to name. So kudos <laughs> to you on that one, sir. That was producer Ross levels of random knowledge about animals. <laughs> Very good for you. Um, and so how do we get to Battle Royale? Oh, man. I, I, well, I want to say that the... Um, okay, the bad horses okay. are unicorns. Right. And that's the problem. Wait, what? The bad horses are unicorns. I don't know, man. But they come to Earth and they're accepted because everyone's like, hey, unicorns are real. And like all the other girls are like, yay, unicorns. But those girls, those girls that like those unicorn horses, they don't really love horses. They love horse merchandise. They don't love horses in the way that this girl loves horses and that she's been 
for real taken care of them her whole life. Wait, she's and a so horse hipster? She, Wait, yeah. Get this. Here's the bit. They come down as unicorns because they know that little girls will like them and let them into their homes. And they're using it to suborn no, society. Listen, they're, they're literally a Trojan horse. <laughs> or in this case, a Trojan <laughs> unicorn. Yeah, yeah. That's the name of the first game, first book. Trojan unicorn. Trojan unicorn. Done. Um, so uh, those horses are suborning like human society so you wow. just get this sort of like yerk thing from yeah. the animorphs like they're 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 influencing society like they're in movies and stuff Ooh. but only she knows that they're like the evil horses that are persecuting she knows the truth the the because she actually knows horses right not and she knows those unicorns aren't real horses they're, oh they're monsters she can feel it um or maybe they're like awful like tentacled things and they're using the technology that lets them transform into turn into unicorns i like that better and so as like sort of psyops make people <laughs> Like have uh, like distaste for regular old horses because oh. they know that's how the you know purple horses uh, from the equestrian planet have uh, disguised themselves. So that's how we get to battle royale. Then, and right? and the battle royale is social in that the the cultural pressure oh, and the unicorns favor is sort of closing the ring. As unicorns are like, hey, you know, regular horses just wish they were unicorns, and we should find them all, and we can convert them into unicorns. And so, like, they're narrowing down on the small family horse farm in which the refugee horses are are uh, being sustained by their little girl helper. Damn. Yeah. Okay, third element, magical furniture. I got it. So here's the bit. Inside, not a saddle, though. Right? No, not a saddle, okay. because a saddle, which is not human furniture, but definitely is horse clothing, I think. Okay, alien horses wouldn't be down with saddles anyway. Like, they would find that really offensive. Wouldn't need them. Yeah. Um, the magical furniture, I think here's the bit. So, in any given stall, when a magical horse, horse girl is, like, grooming the horses that she's protecting, yeah. the stool that she's standing on is the sage. Like, that's the source of truth explaining to her all of the worlds of the horses. It's been there for years. The, it's, the, the stool's an AI. That's right. The stool is the AI the stool's for AI. the ship that took them down oh there. Oh, my God. And it's a magic stool that uh, she she uses. It's an AI. Yeah, it's the AI. It's, Jesus. It's yeah. it's an AI. Yeah, it's an AI. Uh, it's the... Uh, <laughs> Producer Ross just took his glasses off. It's, it's the thing. It's the exposition machine that wow. you sit on it, and it gives you plot information. Um, yeah. I, I think I have a name, too. Equestronauts. That's not bad. Yeah. That's marketable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, if you if you have Equestronauts, you need more than one. So, like, are the Equestronauts the... Is there's that... multiple horses. Okay, there's so a whole... There's oh, okay, a... so it's not the girl. Right. She's not an Equestronaut. No, she's the one human that knows. Oh, hey, uh, okay. it's a horse girl book. Her only friends are horses. Oh, That's okay, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, she's got to have one other friend, right. so mm-hmm. she can talk about it. Volume one, Trojan Unicorn. Yeah. No, <laughs> she needs one human friend. Because otherwise, yeah, how yeah. does she have a conversation? Well, about there's horses? a farmhand, yeah. like a boy from a neighboring. He's got a torch. Well, that's a life, different person. And she he needs helps a, out. She needs a boy and a friend. Oh, okay. Oh, like a like a girlfriend uh, that yeah. she's hiding the equestronauts from. Well, that she has to talk about the horses. But yeah, yeah. Ooh, that she's ooh, from. Let's get this layer. Yeah. The 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 girlfriend is actually most popular girl in school, but their relationship they can't have it out in public because it would ruin her popularity. Oh, and yeah. so it's only like in the backwoods of the farm and in the barn where they can really they can really share. They both have secrets to hide. One is that she oh, hangs out with the shit. farm girl, and the farm girls is that she's harboring alien refugee horses. One of these is not like the other. <laughs> 
Um, basically but you can also have those like anime tropes are really popular. So like rivals in school. Yeah, that's there a really is. big thing. Yeah. There, there he is. is. Yeah. Bonus points to any mixed six community member who draws the equestronauts in, in any form or fashion as we've just given them to you. Volume one, Trojan Unicorn. Trojan Unicorn. <laughs> we will retweet the shit out of and that's the best we can do for you here. But it's probably the big break you've been looking I, for. I, I would actually pay you an amount of money. I don't believe in working for scope. Boom. An yeah. amount of money. Yeah. TBD on that one. But <laughs> yes, some amount of money. Okay, great. We're going to get more beer and we'll be right back. Caleb, what, uh, what's that beer? I am going to drink from Due South Brewing Company, the Caramel Cream Ale. I can't help but notice that that beer is also, let's say, oxygenating, carbonating. Frothy. Ugh, come on. Frothful. As come on. Um, can you please drink that? Can it be frothfully? Why is there an adverb form? I, I, I want to say yes. Okay. This feels aggressive. Uh, it was brewed in sunny South come Florida. Come on. Now you're just making it me look says at it, it. It's got a picture of Florida on it. Which is not a selling point for me. Someone, but. When was the last time Caleb took time, knowing that I was uncomfortable looking at something, to go through and read details of the can, like its point of I mean, origin? Your unco- discomfort is obviously why. Right. He's doing oh it. God, he's unhappy about it. Word, yeah. poor word choice or not, Caleb uh, does not like that beer. Oh he's my Practically God. frothing at the mouth. Come on, <laughs> the frothiness is bad. Oh God, it sticks. It sticks? it sticks in the mouth. Is that the is that the caramel? As the bubbles burst, it keeps like flavoring you, and the flavor is not positive. Drink it, drink it. I don't really want to. Man. I don't care. You have to drink it. I wonder. I don't remember where we got that beer from. It might be from Gin Con of last year, so it might might have turned. I'm not. I'm not sure. No, no, yeah. no. Or it just could be a really bad beer. No, no. <laughs> it's got a. It has kind of a bloody metal quality to it. Yeah, it's it, it tastes like the can, but also like yeah. something tor- like dairy that's on the edge of turning, like yeah. but also metallic. Right. Like like uh like, like milk that's old in a metal glass. Uh yeah. Yeah, that that's that, a one for me. It's a high one, phrase? but it's not it's not it's not the most disgusting one we've had by a long shot, but it's not oh, a two. I'm not oh, gonna drink anymore. That's bad. It sticks, doesn't it? It's really it's made it's it's taken roost at the top of my palate, uh down through the throat. It's cloying. It's got a like, sniper. As, as the going bubbles on. just keeps popping, it's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm not gone yet. I'm still here, motherfucker. I really don't care. It, about like, it. it would normally be a two, but like by sheer like lasting like so they gonna, held down the pedal on that mother you're not gonna drink anymore no yeah uh ross according to one's yeah. uh rules has to try on I, this i know i know that we need to move into the topic here but i just i want to give ross some some opportunity to really lean into this yeah thing. we gotta hear that it's from sunny it's brewed with vanilla beans yeah i don't know if you heard yeah. where it's from though um because that was very Ugh. important at least we've eliminated yeah that's the right and case. here's the thing that's not going to stop no he that's looks- just gonna keep going have you ever lo- seen someone who looks angry and confused? Yeah, because that's where Ross. That's where Ross. You know that like right note now. they play in the background of the Dark Knight when the Joker's around. That oh, kind of like yeah. gets on your teeth, like the dissonant ee- one. Yeah, like it's it's like that for flavor. It is. Oh uh, man, yeah, it's not good. No, 
That is very bad. Yeah, it's just ling- oh, God, the lingering. No, yeah, yeah mm. that, that beer isn't for drinking, <laughs> which is not good. So that's going to be uh, Alex Ross painting me right. lovingly like one of his French girls. Uh, so yeah, that was an added criteria we did not discuss. Well, earlier. I mean, it's in there now. Uh, yeah. Um, how much would you pay for that painting? <laughs> All right. Uh, we're into, uh, ask mixed six and sadly there was no name with this question. Um, but it's just a good question. So like, we're gonna, we're gonna go with it. So what have the effects of role-playing slash board games been on your professional life? Has it made you more analytical? Has it forced you to read more? And I thought this was kind of interesting, especially since um, uh, we've all been players. We've all done design, too. So yeah. has that process on either end of those things had a significant impact um, on your professional career, your professional life, how you encounter things professionally? Caleb? Uh, well, role-playing, probably more significantly. Um, everything is grist for the mill now. Uh, so sure. like. I think most role players who are running games with any kind of frequency are constantly trying to turn whatever they're reading or watching into a one shot at the least. Yeah, that makes sense. Are looking for inspiration. So there's that. Um, we've also talked about an RPPR a little bit. When you do role playing games, you're always quietly LARPing in your head. Like when you go to new places and like find new spaces, you're talking about like what could be interesting about this space right. in a role playing game. Yeah. Or how could I ramp it up with some sort of fantasy exaggeration or. Um, if you read a new tech thing, you can make it more sci-fi. Sure. Um, however, I think on the board gaming level, um, more so than even the RPG level, cause that made me think about it, but it was a slower transition, but in the board gaming level, especially with party foul, um, I am way more into tech writing and sort of informational architecture than I ever was before. Yeah. Um, and which is, which is not to say like I wasn't into it before cause I was a teacher. Like I was always into scaffolding and things like that, but yeah. Um, a lot of that information was presented through guided practice or presented through lecture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in addition to notes. And I always kind of structured the notes and tried to make them concise. But like when you can only convey information through a text medium, right. And you've got to convey it to do a complex series of processes, uh, informational architecture, like down to font and bullet choice is like very important and something that I never really considered in my daily life before I, got to designing things that need to be a 12 page rule book instead of a 498 page rule book. Right. Right. So that's where I'm at. Um, you know, for me, um, uh, Certainly designing party foul, but really playing board games have helped me do a couple of things. So one, um, and probably more from the design aspect is, um, uh, it's taught me to plan a little bit better, but more than that, it's taught me to iterate on plans. And so, uh, the, the comfort, that we developed over a short amount of time with just making change after change after change after identifying a reason for making a change and making sure that that reason was not an aberration um, and and getting good with not feeling like because you were making a change, you were somehow were wrong or had failed. It was just, no, make the thing better by making an iteration. And it's been uh, very helpful for me as we've taken on like bigger projects at work or as I've like thought about doing additional professional projects um, outside of party foul, getting comfortable with that. The first thing you put down is not the finished thing. It, it's often the thing that will look the least like where you end up, but you have to start somewhere and then you have to iterate. Yeah. So that's been really helpful. Um, the other thing that uh, playing board games has really been good for me for my professional life is it's taught me not to have tunnel vision because I'm really prone to tunnel vision. Um, it's easy for me to get locked on one thing and just think about obsess over be be kind of like fanatical or blinded by one thing and 
board games, if you want to be good at playing board games, you have to pay attention to everything that's happening at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really nice to have a medium that isn't my professional life to remember that I need to put my head up sometimes and look around and see what other people are doing before I make a decision. Yeah. And just learning that before I act, have I surveyed the landscape to determine that this is the most optimal action to take, mm-hmm. uh, which could mean a variety of things in a professional setting. But it's been really, really helpful. Last thing I would say, um, l- not necessarily playing board games. We've talked about this in the past, but teaching board games to other people. I think if you can develop that skill set and refine it, that it that toolbox of teaching is is one of the most transferable teaching skill sets you can have to explain difficult concepts between different themes, um, to be able to point to things and talk about how they interact to start with objective-oriented communication and then show people how we're going to get there or the actions they can take to get there. That is a transferable skill set from a tabletop board game to a workplace in a lot of instances. And I think um, having to explain hundreds, if not thousands, of games over the last eight to ten years has made me feel more comfortable doing those kinds of things. Yeah. So, uh, Producer Ross? Uh, I mean, it is my career like, uh, to a large degree. So, um, I mean, it's an in- RPG and like board game design um, is a interdisciplinary like thing more than anything else. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things for me is actually collaborating with other people, especially people online, mm-hmm. like uh, finding and like, I mean, I mean, I'm at the point where like I'm more about. Like uh, also like getting into new fields. Like right now it's like, for me, it's like I'm worrying about community management and like managing collaborators, uh, you know, like trying to make sure that the RPPR community is healthy and, you know, having people are getting value out of it, you know, people are, um, and so like you're learning new things and fields you weren't even worried about, you know, a while ago. So, um, but you know, it's always, and like the whole thing is, is this is a relative RPGs are very new phenomenon in jet in, historically speaking, you know, like they've only existed for like 40 years and then, uh, the internet and like being an online freelancer and using Patreon and that kind of thing sure. is incredibly new, like five years. So everyone's making it up as they go along. So yeah. like trying <laughs> to, uh, be one of those people making it up and trying to figure out a way to get, uh, uh, a decent income from it is, uh, you know, you're always learning and trying new things. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Uh, and trying to avoid burnout too at this point. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try stuff so you don't hate I, it anymore. I will say on a personal level, and I, I don't want to word this the wrong way, but um, it's something I operate off, off of, even though I've not put it in words before. So on a personal level, games have taught me like the type of person I want to be around, hmm. which isn't That's necessarily the type of person who only plays games. I, I don't want to be that way, but like, when I introduce a game to or discuss a game about something, the person who wants to know how it works or like what's interesting about it or something like that, that, that interests me. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm introducing a game to somebody, as you said, like, mm-hmm. and they ask about this or what if I can do that, the person that's sort of intellectually curious about it, and I understand if like they've seen the mechanic before and they're not, or they just can't uh, attention span, sure. get on board long enough to yeah. be the level of game that you're doing it. But there's a there's a person who sort of has a minimum level of intellectual curiosity. Is how does this thing work? Um, how does it interact with other people? Those are the type of people I get along with most. Mm-hmm. But like when talking about games, other people who are just like, oh, games, high school. If they're still in the high school mindset, or they just don't have time for it, like right. they they don't want to engage in something in an interactive mode. Yeah. Like they only want to consume a culture. 
or in any way or mm-hmm. something that mm-hmm. I can't engage in. Like that is just like a person in my adult life that as I get older, I have no time for. Yeah. Like I have no time for as I'm older to convince someone to like something right. or find something interesting in it. Um, and I understand if they're just being polite or something like that. And I don't want to force it on anyone. Yeah. But at the same time, um, people who are just like, yeah, not actively engaging in stuff uh, besides their work are, are, are I just can't relate to on any level enough to have like a serious relationship. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I'd never thought about what, what it shows me about people to interact with. Yeah. Because I spent all day at work trying to convince people to like stuff and right. be intellectually curious. And if you're an adult and you just don't have an interest in it, that's right. fine. Right. Um, and, but like you have to have an interest in something. It doesn't even have to be games. Right. But like I, I've discovered that like if I'm going to like be able to get along with a person, they have to be a nerd about something. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, it could be exercising, it could be guns, it could be, you know, like you have to be, um, inappropriately passionate about something mm-hmm. uh, and and moving forward in it for me to find interest in you. Because huh. if you're just kind of there, right. like that's my whole life is convincing people not to just be there. Yeah. And I want no part of that as an adult. No, I want you to point. be like, yeah. Do something. At least figure out how it works. Push forward. Yeah, find something. Huh. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting to me. Um, I guess I'd never thought about it like that. Um, well, that's thought-provoking. I wish there would have been a name on this question because I thought it was a good question. It got me thinking a lot. Not even that much, though. Um, so anyways, thanks for the question, whoever you were. Uh, more beer, more topics. We'll be right back. Hey, what are you drinking and are excited about? Because it's not the caramel cream ale. No, no, it's definitely not that. Burn every bit of that. <laughs> um, the gasoline in the can, the can itself, that can all go away. Instead, I'll be drinking our third and final fat orange cat. This is the Blood Orange Billy. Again, it's a New England IPA. So uh, so here we go. Yeah, it's got a kind of a freaky... It's a scary orange cat. It's a one. scary orange cat, which... So, could be described Cheshire-esque, but obviously it's based on Garfield. Yeah. Uh, Garfield-Cheshire hybrid, if also, you will. Also good. Also good. That's a four. He doesn't have the stripes like Garfield, though. Um, it's a, I'm, The blood orange makes sense. Uh, there's some sweetness on the top there, and I really like that because that cuts some of the IPA bitter, bitter, bitteriness. Bitterness? Mm-hmm. Bit, bitterini. Um, that might be the same beer as the last one. I'll be honest with with blood orange. Yeah. There's some sweetness over the top. Uh, it's more up front. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The blood orange doesn't nowhere on the back, but you but get a little bit of arc of sweet there on the front, and I really like that. Yeah, it's it's not terribly distinguishable. No, nope, yeah. nope. But it's a four. Um, that's mm-hmm. a that's a drinkable beer. If you found yourself wanting an IPA and the blood orange Billy was available, um, it would be the equivalent of Jim Lee drawing Caleb. Um, hey, humanity's fight is back, and it's our number Ooh, one. What if Jim Davis drew me? I mean, that would. I, I mean, have like a John Arbuckle yeah, huh. body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Arbuckle seemed. He, well, okay, he is skinnier okay. than me. That's fair. Spencer, come on. He is. Be he's nice. in better shape than me. Yeah. I was just. Gonna I've say- got a John Arbuckle demeanor. <laughs> like I seem like a man who lives alone with a cat and a dog, and talks to them because I've gone mad with loneliness. Yeah. Um, it's more of a spiritual successor. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes some sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what What if Alex Ross drew Jim Arbuckle? Now that, John Arbuckle. John Arbuckle. Yeah. Now that is a man I'd be like terrified. To see. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, we're in the humanities fight. It was your number one vote getter. We've not done this in a while, and it just so happened that we had a question from a community member that lined up well. So Marxist Kevin asks, Comrade. "Can the magic of 
The Good Place, in all capital letters, referring to the network television show, making moral philosophy interesting and accessible to normal humans be duplicated for other subjects. God, I hope so, because I love that show. It's such a great thing that I can talk about to people now. So I've only seen a couple of episodes. Um, Didn't dislike it. Also didn't watch any more. I don't really have a good reason for that. Just didn't. Um... But I thought what they were doing, um, especially for NBC, was like pretty, pretty ahead of the curve. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I very much appreciate the project that Marxist Kevin has identified. Here. They found the comedy and philosophy by comparing them against a person that is just the most 21st century, right. like Trump's America human being possible. Like, that's where the humor comes from. The problem with philosophy is like, if you're all talking around, uh, if you're all sitting around talking about how to live your best life and like moving towards it, you're probably like pretty normal people, but like not, not the characters in that show. They're trash humans that have to learn it. And that's where the hilarity comes from. I would prefer tragically flawed rather than <laughs> trash. Like, <laughs> that's what on. they don't refer to themselves that way. Well, that's part of their flaws, <laughs> Caleb. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, can it be, can it be, um, duplicated for other subjects? I absolutely, um, I do not think that, I think there are shows that are already doing, it. I was going to say, I do not think that the good place is the first of its kind, um, for making difficult things or complex things or niche things palatable to the, to the masses. I think the good place is doing it very well, um, which may not be true of other instances, but yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't want to reward this for being some phenomenon. I want to reward it for being what, what, what seems to be a smart show that is talking about complex and interesting matters in a meaningful way. Well, I'll, I'll say the one I think is doing it currently, The Expanse for Physics. Right. Oh, the, yeah, that's the, a good the, the way The Expanse, and they have their like full-time physics consultant on that show. Yeah. The way they problematize and work physics into the plot, and they make it like hard sci-fi, mm-hmm. quasi-realistic, aside from the... You've get basically got one sci-fi technology that's not Asimovian magic, yeah, and everything else is like how it would actually work, um, and like it's gr- like season three alone is just a series of physics problems, like really, uh, like like um, at one point the actually it's like three or four episodes. The problem is they stop too fast. Like, they get stopped too fast, and all the humans on the ship continue going forward at the regular pace, and it kills, like, 75% of all the people in the Armada because they slam against the wall at hundreds of kilometers per hour. Uh, and And then the problem is, like, well... Uh, they're, all, they're like all the people who are injured and they're just like, well, we got to take care of them. It's like, no, more people are going to die. They're like, mm-hmm. why? It's like, there's no gravity. And they're like, well, why is that going to do it? Because like one of the characters doesn't know anything about physics. It's like, well, we don't have the drive, so we can't produce artificial gravity, which means none of the wounds are going to drain, hmm. which means everyone's going to die of internal bleeding. Right. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's very much like get the thrusters back on so you can make artificial gravity so people don't die from bruises. Wow. And it's like, yeah, that would be a thing. There's a part in it where they're trying to race away in a ship and they're going to hit like five or six Gs, which they can do because of this other thing. And they have to stop because she's like, we have to run because they're running away. And she's like, and and one of the uh, space people is like, get that shit off your head. And she's like, what? It's like, your earrings are going to rip your head off if you oh, don't wow. take those off before I hit these thrusters. And it's very much like, yeah, it's all physics problems. Like, it's like physics huh. problems problematized to make drama. Yeah. Um, and they make it like part of the show and they still have fun sci fi, wackety, smooth adventures. So it's possible. I just think you have to invest in it. Like, yeah. the good place invests in 
actually knowing its philosophy. I think the, that's the expanse the bit. invests in knowing its physics. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's the bit. The invest in it part. Because I've seen shows um, dive into stuff that I found interesting and then never unpack it or only make kind of like surface references to things. And I find that frustrating. Um, it's when it's when people, writers, um, really lean into the, no, 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 we're going to unpack this thing in a novel and meaningful way. Um, I think that Futurama has done this really well uh, in questions of what it means, existential questions, questions of technology in the future. Um, I think that there are some episodes of Community that do this really really well Com- community struggled to do it in digestible ways sometimes yeah, i thought high concept stuff. yeah yeah but but they did high concept stuff very interestingly and often very palatably um i even think some of the episodes of <clears throat> benedict cumberbatch's sherlock um had some like high concept reasoning problems done in very palatable um like how do you figure this thing out sort of ways showing the logic of deduction or the logic of abduction or whatever um, and so I think I've seen this stuff done before. The Good Place is doing it well. Do do I think it can can be done in in for, for other settings? Yes. And let me take that a, a, a little step further, which is to say, part part of me thinks that if there's a way out of the nightmare that I think we're in a little bit here, culturally, politically, socially, um, I think one of the ways out in 2019 is digestible, palatable. Uh, popular culture, yeah, and 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 so I really, um, I that really that is still worthy and not that's right, like frippery, yeah, yeah. That's not the Big Bang Theory, yeah. you know, making jokes about settlers of Catan, yeah, or, or you know, like um, it's uh, not it's uh, not reference without reference, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that really and truly explores the complexities of how people feel or how people think or, or what divides us or unites us or whatever it is. I think I think sci-fi has always done this kind of stuff, but like I think what's interesting about the Good Place is its focus right. on moral philosophy and like I think that I think more than sure. yeah more than the investing in it is like the keeping the focus on it in a way that gets you investing characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's got to be the difficult part that the the good place figured out, uh, and the expanse obviously setting space they figured out that like this is something they can do. But I think keeping the focus on a single field, right, uh, in a way that like each episode deepens the understanding of the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difficulty because like there's always high concept sci fi. Um, sure, but community never gets to like an overarching field. It's basically TV tropes made its own show. Yeah, um, and so there's that. So like I was trying to think about a field that you could do this in and like how you could do it in. So the only thing I came up with is like, what I'd be really interested in is if, and it, it's very anime, but like you've got like Yu-Gi-Oh card game shows where it's all about like playing a single game with obsessively high stakes. And I think like if you wrote that with someone who had an explicit knowledge of game theory, mm-hmm. like here's the episode about the fussy suitor, and mm-hmm. here's the episode about the prisoner's dilemma, and here's the episode, mm-hmm. of, and you could just have it anime as fuck, like win the card game or I will steal your blood for mahjong or any other anime craziness. Um, Feels right. The stakes could well, be that's what an actual anime, by the way. Yeah, I'm that's- sure it is. <laughs> know that anytime someone says something absurd and they're like anime as fuck, insert ridiculous thing. I'm like, okay, what episode of fucking whatever Ross was is watching? Kagi. It was right. a Kagi. Okay, it's cool, really great. good. Yeah, uh, he wasn't actually answering the question. Yeah, I did. Right. So, okay. Do you? Uh, <laughs> Kagi's a really good joke. <laughs> Side note: We did. We've almost finished Castle in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, really beautiful, really fucking yeah. weird. Does Studio Ghibli make anybody else sleepy? Yeah, we're on our fourth 
viewing set of Castle in the Sky because I get 20 minutes and I'm like, this is very relaxing. <laughs> and then I fall asleep. So it has taken a little bit of time to get there. But random aside, anyways, go back. Uh, that's yeah. it. I, I, that's all I can think of. Can you think of a subject matter that hasn't been approached in sort of like a methodical series, long series that, um, that could be done in the narrative? I would be interested to see. This is kind of like why I'm interested to watch American Gods now that you've loaned it to me, um, because I think it gets at some of this. I'd be interested to see um, a really great interrogation of myth structures and how they influence oh, yeah. our lives. Yeah. Um, and not just like, oh, look, there are Norse gods in this thing, but like very literally how you know, the, the tangible influence of those, those, you know, arcs, those, 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 um, uh, kind of typological archetypical things matter for us. Approaching it academically rather than just cribbing from hero with a thousand faces. Yeah. Right. Every that, screenplay. On that's her. exactly right. Like being making subtext text. Right. Yeah. Yes. So to yeah. be clear, not mythology, but rather kind yeah. of the study of myth and how myth informs things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be very interested in seeing that. I think that'd be a good, a good subject matter for those things. Um, good question. Marxist Kevin. Thanks so much, uh, for, for taking time away from the fight, um, to access, ask us something interesting. And on that note, we've got one more beer and one more topic, topic left. We'll be right back with drunk enough. Caleb, last beer of this show. What is it? I'm going to drink from Crane Brewing, the Raytown Common, which is an American ale. Where's Crane at? It's in Raytown. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. I've been to Raytown, Raytown once. Raytown, Missouri. Been to Raytown. Holla, 816. Uh, my grandparents lived in Raytown, Missouri for uh, a great period of time. Uh, Caleb Ooh. does not seem to care for that beer. I mean, they've Crane's done some, breweries done some good things. A lot of, lot of Gozas or, yeah. or Weisses. Yeah. For an American ale, I want you at a three. Yeah. A- and this is a two. Oh, no. It's got a little skunk on it. Yeah. Try that Try yeah. that little bit of skunk okay, on it. Okay, you've not, not sold me. I'm not wild about it. It's definitely not as bad as that cream ale. Oh. I <laughs> feel like I will eventually be able to feel joy again. Oh, no, I don't. Will. No, I don't care for that. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's going to be a Rob Liefeld. Pretty low performing episode. There's definitely, your fours, definitely yeah. some penny in there yeah, too. Yeah, um, yeah, that's not great. No, not 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 a good episode. And oddly, the the two highest rated beers were IPAs, which you know. And the other bad part about an American ale, if it's not good, what do you say about it? Right, exactly. Like that's extra file not found. Yeah, right. like ugh. yeah. Um, hey, we're into drunk enough, and look, it always doesn't have to be so heavy, right? Um, yeah. And so we've decided to lighten things up seasonally and topically today. Um, in theory. Uh, we live in we live in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, to be exact. So we don't actually know if this is true, but in theory, spring is coming. Um, no. Well, it's Missouri, so it could be tomorrow, right? And then not the right. day after that. It's also um, possible that we wake up tomorrow and it's 108 degrees. We don't have seasons; we have every season, right, at all times. And so, unpredictable. Who can know really what will happen here? But in theory, spring is on its way, and it's been an up and down, weird winter, and. Um, not, I would not describe any of us as primarily outdoor people, um, but spring is a great opportunity to be an outdoor person. So is there anything about spring that is just like really, really motivating you to keep going right now? Because there are a couple things, I'm going to be honest about spring, that are really getting me out of bed in the morning. 
if if I if I can be so blunt. Yeah. What are you most excited for? Um, it's going to be that outdoorsy part. I really want to go hiking again. I really want to start. Um, I'm a teacher, so the only fitness I get, like most teachers, aside from running around the classroom, is during summer. And I sort of like try to on-ramp in the early parts of spring when the weather gets nice. Yeah. Um, and I just generally do everything better in spring and summer. I eat I better. I exercise more. Um, but I have to look forward to that. Here's the reason I want to talk about that. Cause I know that like, I want to exercise more during spring and be outside in the sun is not exactly the most like alarming take. Right. How do people live in places that aren't shut down in icy, frigid awfulness for the winter? Cause like, I, I realized that I lived myself based on this like sort of cyclical seasonal cycle that all humanity has lived off of. Um, but then in addition to that, I have that reinforced by the academic calendar, which and I have nine mm-hmm. months of insane work followed by three months of insane non-work. Right. Um, and like, I've never lived my life off of that calendar and it's never not been tacked to the seasonal one. Right. Right. And so like, I, I see this question. I'm like, how do people in California just like, function like what do you look forward to like when every day is the next day or like even arizona if it's awful like like but it's always gonna be awful yeah um like hot and like i just don't like the whole rhythm and tempo of my life like even if i got off the academic calendar i would still have seasons i don't know how people who without that live i like yeah i don't either i'm not saying they live poorly it's something i think i would look forward to but like i don't know how I don't know, man. I, Exercising year round? How? Well, how? How am I going to take months? It's off? so awful outside. Right. How do you do that? Well, like, other places you can actually walk a lot more. You know, you don't have to. You don't. You, you know, there's better public transit. There's, what? Well, yeah, there's public what? <laughs> so you can. Is walk. that like a lift? Yeah, it's like a lift, but it's free. No, can't I even. Think can't so. even wrap my head around it. <laughs> I'm not even on the or academic cheap, yeah, calendar yeah. anymore, and still I find myself um, getting. I have to have seasons is what I've learned. I'm 32 years old. Um, I absolutely love spring. I absolutely love mm, parts of summer. There's definitely a point past which summer is enjoyable for me anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of like early fall before it gets too cold when you could still in theory wear shorts and if not shorts, maybe just jeans and a t-shirt. Once we get to late fall though, it's pretty much just winter at that point. And we need to accept it. And again, it seems like the two things that we get the least of around here are an adequate fall and an adequate spring. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I look forward to them the most. Yeah, Missouri is not an area of transitions, especially with climate change. <laughs> right. No, I at mean the best of times we weren't doing well before carbon ruined the earth. Right. I think there's a risk that at best we have something that looks like six approximate weeks of not totally winter and not totally summer and we're going to call that spring and it could happen but like tomorrow. there's going to be like an 86 degree day right and then the next day is going to be like 15 like right yeah. so that's the fucking problem is that really spring is just where did we average out over a six-week period i remember when i was a kid we used to put away winter clothes right and the idea of doing that now just seems absurd yeah. to me uh, like absolutely. what if you need that sweater right like yeah but it's going to be 28 <laughs> below tomorrow <laughs> yeah i need i need seasons i need to feel like things are changing i i don't know if there's something inside the human body that is turned that is tuned to the biological clock around the earth that is just like oh look the seasons have changed your your mood has changed but sure i believe in that whatever it is 
Um, I need to be able to go outside and walk. I walked on the trail today outside of our office because we've moved down by um, really one of the best trails in the area, the office has, and it's great. It was 50 degrees. 50 degrees isn't particularly warm, That's but I had, a, I had a pullover on. Yeah. Oh, and I went for a walk today because it wasn't four degrees. Yeah. And it just felt like I needed to. I am really for the first time in my life, as much as I enjoy spring and I enjoy... I'm looking forward to being outdoors. Like I'm looking forward to like walking. You gonna go hiking with us? Hiking can maybe fuck off, but I am looking <laughs> forward to like walking and doing going on the trail. And I'm really looking forward to backyard games. So like I will say we're always thinking of you when we're hiking about like you know, Spencer'd be really miserable right motherfucker, now. Motherfucker, like, <laughs> yeah, he would hate this. I hiked eight miles up and down a mountain outside of Col- outside of Denver, Colorado. I am pretty much uh, the guy from uh, what? What's that fucking book uh, about the bird? And he, what's that book? Hatchet. I'm pretty much the guy from Hatchet. Okay. About the bird. Yeah. I thought you were gonna talk about the rhyme of the ancient mariner. How is that about a bird? What's the animal? What are you talking about? Is there not an animal in Hatchet? That there are many animals in Hatchet. Is one of them a bird? Are you talking about the one like where he finally recognizes the shape of the bird and so he can start shooting them, like hunting them and surviving? Don't remember. Just remember okay. that he's outdoors and there's a Do bird. Do you think a Hatchet is a bird? Well, probably not. <laughs> 85, 15. Yes, what no. What has even happened at this point? Well, I just feel very outdoorsy. I feel like <laughs> Do I've, you? I've... I've... You just said you up. don't want to hike. Well, I said hiking could fuck off. I also did say that I had hiked up and down a big mountain outside of Denver. And that feels like... That doesn't make you outdoorsy. "Mm, It does make me a hiker, I think, by definition. Not really. Having hiked. You have... Does hiker assume some... You know, and I don't want to go back to this. A hiker is someone who likes to hike. Eh, I don't think like is definitely in the... It's just walking around in the woods. Right. And in that case, I walk around all the time, and my office is near the woods, so I'm at least hiking adjacent. Uh, but I think that my previous hiking experience makes me at least a hiker. Now, maybe an avid hiker? Probably not. Definitely not. I'm definitely not going to buy hiking clothes, I don't think. Like, you need to get hiking shoes. I'm not going to buy hiking shoes. No, you don't. You definitely can't be walking up a fucking mountain in just tennis shoes, man. Yes, you. I mean, we're not going up a mountain. Caleb, Where do you think we're going? I have a television, and I've read an L.L. Bean catalog. I know that people who drive Subarus have fancy shoes and pullovers to walk up their mountain. There's a middle zone. There's, no Subaru There's a middle zone between, like, doing the Appalachian Trail and, like walking around your office to get your Fitbit steps. See, like, that's there's the a big gray area there. That's my problem. All hiking to me is just free soloing El Capitan. That's what, <laughs> like, when you and Sarah are like, yeah, we're going to go hiking, I'm like, well, don't die. I it's mean, like that's all one or two miles. Right. Yeah, definitely, though. That's a lot up a mountain. It's or like or, or a hill. Hiking. That's so many hours, though, Ross. Like, you're saying that. Here's, here's the thing. Also, if you did it in Denver, like, that's legit thin atmosphere. I know, because I'm a hiker, guys. Didn't you hear? But, like, we don't have that here. We have air here. Right. Like, humidity. We have oxygen and stuff. We also have a lot of snakes. Homie, don't play with snakes. Snakes don't, like, attack you. They don't... They don't they snakes don't give a shit about you? Opposite. No. Snakes do you do attack you. That's why we're all afraid Only of snakes. Only if you mess with them. Are you going to go... If you see a snake, are you going to go mess with it? I don't know, man. What if I fucking step on a snake? Is I just... Caleb, how many snakes have you guys seen hiking? None. Zero. Nah, I'm going to ask Sarah. I don't believe you. I think you're trying to sell me on Look, something right if, now. If we saw snakes, I would have taken photos of it. I would be telling you about right yeah, now. Yeah, no. If we hike with Ross, and Ross is the guy who goes fucks with the snakes. <laughs> I am that guy. Why would you... Uh, it's him. Snakes? He's the snake guy. Look at him. Snakes are cool. Don't. Yeah, he's they that are. guy. You're on a lot of bullshit right They're now. They're pretty Ross. cool. Tell <laughs> me, you see Ross Payton, and he's not the snake guy. He is the snake guy. I don't know. He's gonna go fuck. 
a I've snake. never, I never like. One... Okay, so the, if we saw a snake, I would have the next time we would have gone a hike, I would have brought a snake hook to try and capture the snake. You own a snake hook? Uh, no, but my parents do, so I would have borrowed theirs. Why do your? Oh, because they made a movie about snakes. They did. Please tell me it's that the snake hook is a hangover from the film. They just don't happen to. Have no, it. that no. Like in my childhood, we'd go out in the woods and like try and capture snakes. What the fuck? <laughs> and we're not gonna go do that in spring. We're just gonna walk around. We will not be capturing snakes. I don't I don't know about any I trust one of you may I'm gonna ask Sarah. I don't know that I trust either of you. Definitely don't trust trust Ross. You think right I'm now. gonna fuck around with a snake? No I don't know, way. man. I don't know. You're fucking around with the snake guy. It feels Yeah, he can do that. We're gonna keep walking. You're taking him hiking. It feels like you're playing with fireman. I would have told them if I had found a snake. I we, would have been excited. Loudly. We gotta go. We yeah. gotta we gotta get out of here. This is all this is all gone too so far. So sort of clear. Talking about hiking are we're not even hiking. It's still pretty cold. <laughs> Talking about the possibility of hiking is enough to make you leave the podcast currently. Uh, currently, yes. Eternally. <laughs> that means you're not a hiker. Eter- uh, I mean, the the record shows what the record shows here. <laughs> These shoes have have braved some of Colorado's toughest terrain. It's actually quite a nice Actually, trail. probably not. I saw a lot of older people doing it as well. Yeah. Now, I, I don't imagine... You're undercutting yourself as you speak. Well, they're hikers too, Ross. I don't imagine that they made it to the top, and we made it to the top, which was important. There was a lake at the top, and almost I died up there a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I am like the least fit person on the planet, and I can still go hiking. I don't know that it's a question of fitness. I just don't know that it's something I would enjoy. All right. Like, man, I'm really enjoying all, all this wheezing, and the trees, and that's how I feel. That's how I felt the whole now time. You can insult trees too. No, the trees are fine. I don't. Except I, that's where snakes hide. I, They're complicit. Maybe. Sometimes complicit in sometimes. the Missouri snakes aren't really into tree climbing as much. What states snakes are into tree climbing? I mean, it's more in, like in uh, southern, more uh, humid climates. You know, like uh, I'm not saying that they don't. I'm saying like snakes, oh, good. Snakes here are more like to go hide under rocks. I I don't know. What any of this is anymore? I feel like I feel like I've walked into the wrong room, and you guys, you guys are actually alien horses who just look like I have Caleb a book of like Missouri's reptiles. Do you want to look at it? No, I don't want to look at it. I'm fine, thank you. I don't just need to be to. clear. Here's the guy who shows you his book about reptiles. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely the snake guy now. Um, okay, hey, if you've listened to this, thanks so much for spending your time, energy, and effort, and frankly, for not giving up on us in the last five minutes, because <laughs> it would have been hard. Um, hey, if you're not already a backer of the Mix 6, don't forget that you can find a shit ton of more Mix 6 content on Patreon. We've got more full-length episodes. We've got many episodes like Hot Takes on Ice and Jury of Our Beers. And you can participate in the Mix 6 Discord, where we're having ongoing conversations about a lot of the stuff that happens on the podcast, including early access to episodes. If you want to check it out, go to patreon.com. Just look for the Mix 6 podcast. If you're not following us on Twitter, check us out at the Mix 6, and you can also find us on Facebook. We've got a page and a group. Finally, you can send us things in the mail, board games to play, olive oil to sample, whatever you'd like, to the Mixed 6, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. And many of you have sent us terribly wonderful things, and we can't thank you enough for that. This has been really enjoyable, except for parts of it, particularly the stuff about snakes. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Spencer. I'm an alien snake disguised as a man. Yeah, no, that feels, that all checks out right now is what I'm saying. We'll see you next time.